Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. is your number one source for all your betting needs in sports, info, and odds. Find all of the latest sports developments, including this week's odds. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sporting wagering needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started, so join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on popular sports and games. Bet online where the game starts. What up, TCK Potters? Welcome back to the program. We got a rare trifecta here on the episode tonight. We got the TCK Pod, aka Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Sky Guasco, joined by my man Bob Lamarco. And I'm kind of party crashing the Buck and Bob show, which I'm honored to be a part of, of course. But also down below here, we got our man Bucky in the flesh. Also, so the rare trifecta here on the TCK pod. If you have not yet, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure to smash the bell so you get all of our updated alerts and lead to the NFL draft in just a couple hours. All of a sudden, gentlemen, and very excited about that this weekend. Also, make sure to subscribe, leave a comment anywhere on Facebook, Twitch, and Twitter. You find the fantasy focused YouTube show, and of course, download our podcast, the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm jumping in and again, party crashing tonight. Buck and Bob are continuing the series of looking at players that have the most to gain or lose, depending on this weekend's NFL draft. We're wrapping up the series here. And right now we're doing the AFC East. So, of course, we have the Bills, the Finns, the Jets, and the New England Patriots. Buck and Bob, thank you for having me. Yeah, man. man. Let's go ahead, Buck. Super stoked, Sky. It's very rare that you grace me with your presence. You know, usually I plague Bob with my own presence, so it's fantastic to have you on board for this crazy train here. My only question about the draft is, doesn't it feel like every year it gets longer and longer for the first round? I I don't – I honestly love it. I'm like – got like four <laughs> – I'm like six beers deep by the time we're like at the 15th pick, and I'm just super stoked Bro, about all of it. I love I'll, it. I'm going to give everyone an inside scoop. So uh, my good friend Ryan Leaf – and I had the privilege of running a show a few months ago. And, of course, he was the former number two overall pick, as everybody knows, behind Peyton Manning in 97, 98. He let me in on a little secret that's only progressed as the years have gone on. Now, the NFL is about making money, right? We all know that. Now, the number one pick, I guarantee you, boys, the number one pick as we talk right now, the number one pick is decided. That's done. The Jags know who they're going to get. They've known for six months. It's dealt with. Therefore, the number two pick is most likely decided. The number three pick, maybe not so much number four. Then we start actually having a guessing game and reacting. Peyton Manning and Ryan Leaf knew weeks ahead of time which teams they were going to go to, and they had discussed that behind the scenes. That's in 97-98. Imagine the communication nowadays. So what I'm saying is the first couple of picks in the first round especially are elongated on purpose 
for TV, for commercials, for eyes, for attraction. We know this is not about picking players. This is about the NFL catching their shine. A 32-person draft is going to take five hours on Thursday night when it could take 26 minutes. But we know that's going to take extra long. So is it getting longer every year? Absolutely. Is it on accident? Absolutely not. Yeah. Fair point. Fair point. Well, I'm into it. I don't care. I'm there for every second of it, folks. I'm super excited. I don't care. I can't uh, wait till day day four. We're sitting here like, man, the 216th pick. Okay. You know, backup safety for the Giants. I like that. I'm going to write that one down. Right on. No, they lose me at day three. I think I go, I get through, I get through the, the third round and that's when I think the day three picks, that's where I'm like, all right, I'll get like updates here and there, but I'm not going to get into it, but that's not why we're here. Day three picks are not impacted. What we're talking about today, folks, what we're talking about today is the players with the most to gain and lose according to the NFL draft. So what we're going to be talking about today is current players on current rosters. Now, Buck, since sky's the new guy, why don't you sh- t- give us your breakdown first of the Buffalo Bills and the players with the most to gain and lose in the NFL draft? So in a very rare circumstance here, the Bills actually fill out their draft in terms of the rounds they are picking in. You got the 25th, 57th, 89th, 130, 168, 185, 203, and 231. So my players, Devin Singletary, and it, I'm going to walk us through both sides of the coin here. The one coin would be the Bills do not tempt fate and, and just subdue all of their attraction to one Brees Hall, and they do not make that pick at the 25 spot. If that's the case, I don't see the Bills taking a running back until, say, the fifth or sixth round. So at that point, not too concerned. Obviously, we saw Zach Moss. It, it, he's just not that effective. He's not what the Bills thought he would be technically, but we'll see if he grows into that. But with Singletary, we saw him down the stretch become extremely effective, really for the first time in his career, where he was putting up highlight show numbers for the fantasy football community, um, getting involved in the pass game, being present throughout that run game as we worked to establish it down the stretch because we had lost that early in the season. I say we, I'm a diehard Bills fan if you haven't met me before. But Singletary, if they do not pick Brees Hall, he's in a great spot. Obviously, you have a highly efficient offense. Um, it'll be a bit different without Dable there. Uh, I, I think that the principles will all be there with Allen being able to work in that system for the time that he did. I think he'll be quite a tailor for this suit that is the Buffalo Bills. And it's that's a Gucci suit, Bob. That's a Gucci suit right there. We're talking big money, high rolling. Now, he can also stand to lose a whole lot here. So it, it really hinges on this 25th pick. Brees Hall, hell of a player, electric, big, fast, strong, has vision out the wazoo, extremely effective at Iowa State. I'm in love with Brees Hall. I've dug in. I've bought into the hype. Bills go Brees Hall. That's bad news for Singletary. I'm sorry. Singletary is not the electrifying player that a guy like Brees Hall is in one of the fastest offenses in the NFL in terms of the explosive nature. Brees Hall is a great fit, but are they really going to invest in running back again? I'm not sure, but they did such a great job in free agency. It kind of freed them up to just say, how can we tailor this offense to compete with Pat Mahomes, Justin Herbert, all of these guns that we got now in the AFC? I think it's an offensive game, the AFC boys. So I, I really do think that if Brees Hall falls, which I assume he will at 25, he'll be a Buffalo Bill, and that's bad news for Singletary. It's a rare chance. It's a rare 
uh, circumstance that you have a team as good as the Buffalo Bills needing to fill a skill position like the running back position. A lot of these great teams already have a great running back, plethora of wide receivers and, and quarterbacks. I'll get to my player in just one second, but to reflect on Singletary, I almost put him down too because it just seems so obvious. Zach Moss, second-round pick out of Utah. I mean, he was great in the Pac-12. I watched him constantly in Utah. Uh, he was a good player, but he just didn't pan out, unfortunately, with injuries. Singletary did well down the stretch last year, but hasn't been able to hold up. Not the goal line back, only 5'7". Brees Hall's the truth. I agree. And even if Brees Hall doesn't fall, Kenneth Walker's legit out of Michigan State. Isaiah yeah. Spiller out of Texas A&M. One of these guys most likely will go to the Bills um, at number, you know, at that first round pick. And even if they don't, one of these guys could fall to the to the second round, third round also, because there's so many non-skill position guys this year. Big fellas, Buck, uh, just for you, big fellas going early in this draft uh, versus the skill guys. So it'll be interesting to see. I think uh, Singletary definitely has uh, kind of look over his shoulder here. Another guy, too, that everybody loves in fantasy football, including me, I don't think he'll fall too much regardless, but Gabe Davis, man. Right, like Gabe Davis was a was a guy last year that a lot of people thought was going to be a sleeper. He kind of was. He was picked in like the eighth to twelfth round, depending on your league, and he did have some spurts. But now you got Manny Sanders gone, Cole Beasley gone, Stephon Diggs got the huge bag. So obviously he's he's the clear number one, which you know everyone knew was coming. But do they really trust Dawson Knox because they brought in OJ Howard? But is OJ Howard really a threat? Right. So for me, it's going to be Stephon Diggs and it's going to be Gabe Davis. But there's a lot of talent in this draft. And if they get a bigger body receiver, like, I don't know, Drake London won't last that long, but if they get a big high profile, number one, high profile, number two, which there's a lot of them in this draft class fall to the bills. And they think they can get a running back on day two or three, they go wide receiver. Instead. I think Gabe Davis is still kind of a number two, but at that point he's might be a two B and he's still playing third fiddle, which I don't like for him. Last year in the divisional round in the playoffs, eight catches, 201 yards, and four touchdowns, as we all remember. But his season stats have been identical the last two seasons. Both years he's played 16 games, 35 catches, 62 and 63 targets, 559, 549 yards, and seven touchdowns, six touchdowns, almost identical across the board for Gabe Davis. We got to hope he makes that boost with everybody trying to draft him there. He's obviously a name that a lot of people are going to – he's kind of this year's Michael Gallup, I think. We expect big things from him. But if they get a high-profile number one wide receiver, could be trouble for Gabe Davis, but I love this kid. Hopefully it works out. But for me, outside of Devin Singletary, he's the one on the Bills I think has the most to gain or lose. I, I actually agree with Gabe Davis on this one. I When you're looking at – the first thing we noticed last offseason is that the Bills brought in Emmanuel Sanders to have that veteran presence, and that put Gabe Davis back on the bench and in in basically fourth receiver on the team. They did not do that this offseason. They didn't go out and get a veteran. They brought in Jamison Crowder, but they also let go of Cole Beasley. So Crowder's filling that Beasley role, and that outside position across from Diggs is now available. And there's a real chance that Davis could take the number two spot and play in two receiver sets as well. So I like that. That's a confidence boost. Now he has to get through this draft to see if they really do believe in him, and I think they do. The guy went for 201 yards and four touchdowns the last time we saw him play. The last time in that Kansas City game, I didn't even think it was a real stat, but I'm on pro football focus. I hope they're right. But that's a lot of that's a lot of production the last time we saw him on the football field in a big-time game in the playoffs. And to me, I like to look at some of the postseason stuff because that's when the chips are on the table. You know, your chips are all in. you got to go out and put your best players on the field, and they put Gabe Davis out there to succeed. So they have 158 opportunities based on my analysis from last year. Another thing I like about Gabe Davis 
is that his the player profiler comparisons don't start off good. It's Zach Pascal, Alan Lazard, but then you start getting down there further. It's Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson. I feel like those molds for a big like a guy six two would be perfect for him. So I do like Gabe Davis, especially if he survives the NFL draft. All right, let's jump down to our next team, Buck, the Miami Dolphins. Who do you got there? So Miami, I got Tua. Listen, you got the Ferrari, you got the Benz. You might have a Lamborghini in the garage now in terms of your receiver stack. I mean, I don't know how teams will contend with Waddle and Hill, I, especially Bills. I mean, they could also go 25th pick on a cornerback, but I think the guys that they're targeting will be off the board. I would, I personally want a cornerback there in Buffalo, but it's going to be a show. And it's make or break time for Tua. You got the tools. They ain't drafting QB. We're going to ride out this Tua show. And I'm just curious to see if Tua can put up or shut up here. I actually like Tua. I think he is lambasted quite a bit more than he needs to be uh, in terms of just media in general, critiquing everything he does, the way he throws, the way his balls look off his hand. No. Listen, the guy's a winner. And you just loaded up the tool shed. All you got to do is bust out that Ryobi electric, of course, trying to cut down on the gas usage. But they got that that shitty Ryobi. It's time to fire up them tools, boys. So make or break here for Tua. And the other thing is, listen, they, they have to fill needs because they have three picks right now, and none of them are, are appetizing for a trade. Third, fourth, and seventh. They ain't trading up. They don't have the stock to. So I think in terms of you got the tools now, put it to work. I think they go offensive line there in the third and fourth rounds and kind of bolster up how they look there on the front line. Yep, it's uh, it's um, going to be make or break easy for Tua, obviously. Um, he's got all the weapons he can ask for. I've been kind of throwing shade at Tua for the last couple of years on the podcast, but that's more so just because I'm a fan of Justin Herbert, and I think the Dolphins blew it, but that's their problem. Um, I think a biggest issue, too, is like I just don't know. I know he can throw downfield. I know he's somewhat accurate, but is he going to have time behind that offensive line? Or is – Mike McDaniel, McDaniel going to bring in the offense, which is going to be throw four yard slants and let the wide receivers do all the work like they do in San Francisco. Yes. Now at the end of the year, if Tua has 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns and everyone's excited about Tua, I'm going to be looking at that like a dot and see if he threw any passes over nine yards, which I doubt he's going to because he doesn't have to. Mike Kosicki's even a skilled player like that, right? Cedric Wilson's a big play, uh, third, fourth, fifth receiver in that offense too. So we'll see what happens with Tua, but I'm still not buying in. He's a great super flex quarterback, but he won't be on any of my single quarterback leagues. All right, you're talking about the Ferrari, the Benz, the Lambo, maybe even a Rolls Royce nowadays in the Dolphins. Give me that 1997 Toyota 4Runner in my man Raheem Mostert. Getting it done. Look, if he stays healthy... For 12 to 14 games, he's going to be worth having under fantasy team because he's going to get a bulk of the work. He is the number one. He has rapport with Mike McDaniel. He has rapport uh, with this offense and in this scheme. He just can't stay healthy. I've mentioned this a million times. I'll do it very quickly. Been in the league since 2015. Here's his games played log. 11, 3, 11, 9, 16, 8, and 1. Last year, he had two plays. In the year he actually played a full season, 2019, he had 137 carries, 772 yards, 
180 yards receiving, 10 touchdowns, wide receiver or running back 26 in PPR. So still not incredible, but we know he can get it done. One of the fastest players in the NFL when healthy, but they bring in Chase Edmonds. They still have, um, uh, you know, other running backs on this team who I don't think like Miles Gaskin, I don't think is amazing, but he stepped up well. If Heem gets hurt at all, I think he's going to get passed up. And I don't put it past the Dolphins to get a late draft running back just for depth. And we saw last year in San Francisco behind Raheem Mostert, a six-round pick and Elijah Mitchell came out of nowhere seemingly, but the most talented, the most healthy on the roster wins out. That could happen again to him, unfortunately, on the Dolphins. So for me, it's easy. Raheem Mostert could be a draft day steal if he gives you 12 to 14 games, but he could also blow out in the first couple of games as we've seen most of his career so love my man Raheem Mostert I don't trust him at all but I do think he's the answer to this question who has the most to gain or lose depending on the draft Raheem Mostert easy for me you know it's funny after we're thinking about it now because they only have one pick in the first th- two days like 102 two is not really there's not they're not going to bring in a quarterback they can't really bring in anybody. The, what, yeah the, it's so my thing is when you look at Tua though he's probably gained the most from this entire offseason already. I mean, the, the coaching staff should put him in very good advantageous uh, situations for his type of skill set. He has Tyree Kill, Jalen Waddle, Cedric Wilson, Mike Jazicki. Plus, we can't forget about the offensive line they invested in already. Connor Williams and Teron Armstead could arguably be one of the top two uh, offseason acquisitions on the offensive line on the same team. And then they have three day two picks at the other position. So they have a lot of capital on the offensive line already. Plus they have the skill position players. And now it's like Tua, it's time to see that improvement and growth. I do believe he will, because like you said, Buck, he's a winner. He's proven it in the past. I do like that for him, but also like he has everything you need to succeed. Now a good offensive mind, a coach, a good offensive line that has invested as long as Toronto Armstead stays healthy and he's got the skill position players to help him. So I do like that. As well. Before we jump down to the New England Patriots, let's take a quick commercial break for one of our sponsors, Carefactor, and we'll be back right after this. Hey, TCK Potters and Fantasy Focus community. Are you looking for options for hair loss? There are many options out there for treating it. However, most products treat the cause, such as DHT, and don't do much to support the growth of new and stronger hair. It's like removing harmful weeds from your lawn, but not doing much to fertilize the grass. That's why the Fantasy Focus and TCK team has partnered with Carefactor. Carefactor saw this problem and focused their research on finding just the right combination of biosynthetic growth factors and an innovative delivery system to promote fuller, stronger looking hair. So whether you're a listener who suffers from various forms of alopecia or even stress-related hair loss, the Care Factor treatment is the perfect scalp-friendly solution that can help and influence stronger and healthy hair throughout all stages of the hair life cycle. And now, exclusively for TCK listeners, use the promo code TCK at checkout to get 15% off all products at shop.mycarefactor.com. That's shop.mykerefactor.com. Care Factor, skincare for hair. All right, Buck, you know what to do. Let's talk Patriots. Yeah, it's uh, Nikhil Harry. Most to lose. Enough said. He's got a lot to lose. Zero production. <laughs> I'm st- I'm astounded. He's still on the with- team? Let me, I think let, me, he's- let me double check that, Buck, to make sure he's still on the team. Go ahead. He's there. <laughs> I think he's a lot to gain, right? Because what if he gets traded? I think that's the best case scenario for Harry, right? To get traded or a draft night to some team that needs some help. 
What happened? First round pick. Am I am I no wrong clue. on that? Yes. First round yeah. pick, right? Yeah, he was. Yes. yes. USC dudes. A, he was an animal in college. It it's um it's one of those things that I I I think they have perpetually struggled at the wide receiver position in, in New England. I, I don't know how they're evaluating the talent to match the way that they play, but it, they're they're doing a poor job. Uh, I actually looked at Nikhil Harry's first two seasons in the NFL. And my jaw hit the ground. It just, it doesn't add up. It's zero productivity. Not just, oh, you know, first round pick, only got up to 700 yards, 65 catches. No, no, no. It's it's beyond bad. And they have to do something. It's a deep wide receiver draft this year. I have a big time feeling they're going to try to get Mac Jones a weapon there. And you alluded to it earlier there, Sky, where, if it ain't this year for the wide receiver position in terms of skill positions in this draft, when's the best time to strike? When you have seven or eight guys on the board that you actually really like and Bill's going to get him one, Nikhil Harry, I have a bad feeling about this. So Man. your best hope is a trade. Man, that's a bummer. And I said US, I said USC. Um, it was Arizona State. My bad. Um, ASU. Where, where he went to school, but I'm looking at it right here, Bob. So if anybody remembers the killer Harry in college, he was amazing, but his career highs across the board, career highs in three seasons, 14 games played 33 receptions, uh, 57 targets, 309 yards, two touchdowns um, and a fumble. So he's getting it done. Uh, man, really, really, uh, unnecessary. And you know, so much of this, you think about like Patriots and their struggles to draft wide receivers, but at the end of the day, man, you know, Bill's arguably the greatest coach of all time. Like these are not schmoes that he's drafting. They just haven't panned out for whatever reason. Uh, unfortunately for Nikhil Harry, great talent didn't work out there. I'm going to go with another wide receiver new to the squad with, uh, Devonte Parker. Now I have been on this podcast for years not excited about Devontae Parker for a number of reasons. A, he can't stay healthy. B, he's inconsistent. C, he hasn't had a quarterback that I trusted in his entire career. No offense to the great Ryan Fitzpatrick, of course. But I just can't get into a wide receiver that's boomer bust in his own right and then doesn't have the quarterback that I trust anyway. Now he goes in division, which is rare, but he goes to the Patriots via trade. Now, when a player's traded versus free agency, I pay a little closer attention. Free agency means that their contract expired. The team that they were on doesn't necessarily value them enough to pay them to retain them. So somebody else says, eh, what the hell? We'll take a chance on that guy. Why not? When you're traded, people pick you and they say, you know what? We're going to buy your contract. We want you on our team. Come over here and help us win. And that's what Bill did to Devontae Parker. He's plucked out of that division for years. I think that's really smart. So Devontae Parker has struggled the last couple of seasons, but let's harken back to 2019, which was easily his best season he's ever had. 16 games played, the only time he's played 16 in his entire career. 72 catches, 128 targets, 1,200 yards receiving, and nine touchdowns, a career high by, I mean, he doubled his, his career high before then. Wide receiver 11 in PPR that season. So Mac Jones, I don't think he's going to air it out. Mike, you know, uh, you have the offense leaving, essentially going to the Raiders, um, which I'm a little bit concerned about, but I think he can, he's already the number one. You mentioned Nikhil Harry. Um, Devontae Parker's already the number one, I think, ahead of Jacoby Myers and guys. So 
he has the most to gain or lose because if they bring in any other wide receiver, I think he's in trouble. Um, but if they don't, it's easy that he's the number one, in my opinion. Hunter Henry, maybe, but Jonu, we'll see what happens with him. But as wide receivers go outside of the run game, it's going to be Devontae Parker. And he's going to be somebody that I think people are faded on big time. So if you can get him in like the 12 something round, I think he's worth a shot. But it's then at that point, it's do you trust Mac Jones? My thing is, when I'm looking at this roster, though, I mean, I know Parker had his – and listen, Ryan Fitzpatrick's slander does not there's, – there's there's things that you can't do, and that's one of the things you can't do on this podcast. Ryan Fitzpatrick made him like the number two fantasy receiver of that season. It was absolutely dominant over the second half of the year. But anyway, the pro, my thing is the player with the most to gain and lose, and I agree with Buck on this one, I want to see them invest in a high-profile receiver because I kind of feel blah about these guys. I mean – Devontae Parker had flashes, but has never been consistent. Jacoby Myers, a very nice player, but he's not going to – he's not a game-breaker. Guy doesn't score touchdowns. Kendrick Bourne, nice backup wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar, situational deep threat. Then you got Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Both are nice players, but there isn't that alpha guy that you could go to 10 to 15 times in a game and dominate a game on the outside. That's what I want to see the Patriots get at some point. Plus, Parker, dead cap hit after this season, zero. They can release him, no dead cap. Jacoby Myers, this is his last year of the contract. Kendrick Bourne has only one more year after this. Nelson Aguilar's last year of the contract. So technically, after this season, there's only one guy that's still under contract that has any money on the books. They could get rid of Parker. So I would like to see them invest because Mac Jones, my opinion, showed enough in his first season that if you start surrounding him with elite talent, because that's what happened with Tom Brady. Look what Brady had to do the last few years in New England. He didn't have any talent. His numbers slipped. Everyone's like, oh, he's got to retire. And then, boom, he goes to Tampa and explodes because he has Godwin, Evans. He's got, you know, Gronk and, and all these A-B. guys. A.B. to an extent. <laughs> you know, that's you surround you these good quarterbacks with talent. They go off. And the problem is New England doesn't seem to be able to do that because they do miss a lot in the draft. But, all right, now, let's jump to – go ahead. I, I just I just love Bob how you just casually scan right over the name of Gunnar Olszewski. You don't even mention my man's. Well, first of all, he's in he's in Steelers now. He's not even on the team anymore. So don't even come at me with that. Okay, all good, right? good, good. I was <laughs> so, I was concerned. Like, I thought I thought we had I thought we'd skipped over their best. No, player. that's okay. All right, Buck. Let's go to the last team here, the New York Jets. Yeah. So with the Jets, I don't know about you guys, but I kind of liked what I saw from Michael Carter last year. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Obviously, he showed out a little bit in the receiving game. Uh, 14 total games, acquired 36 receptions on 55 targets, 325 yards. I like that output there. I think he showed enough on the ground, 4.3. I don't believe Jets are going to try to take a, a big name running back here. Not that there are too many of them in this draft. So I think it's a good wait and see moment here for a guy like Michael Carter. Um, there's quite a dearth of you know, non-talents in terms of fantasy football that are on this offense. I think Michael Carter is one of the lone shining spots, at least for like hope for the New York Jets faithful and fireman Ed. May he retire in peace. God bless your fireman Ed. Uh, come back to the stands. Maybe they have a little bit, little bit of Rex Ryan life left in him. I don't know. But I'm, I'm going to go with Michael Carter just because, honestly, I looked at that roster. I looked at the depth chart and it's like, Man, where else can you find a diamond here? Potential diamond is going extremely late in drafts, and he's going to be the starting running back with the bulk of the carries there. Yep, and I totally agree with everything you said about Michael Carter, but if I take 
like the player with the most to gain or lose. I think that's also a good point with Michael Carter, because again, why wouldn't they grab another running back? Again, you're talking about like Shanahan guys, right? You have Mike LaFleur and you have um, Robert Saleh, who came over from the 49ers. They're used to having a stable of four or five running backs. And unfortunately for my Niners for the last five years, all five of those guys have had to be the starter because of health. So it would not surprise me at all if the Jets do bring in a running back, even on day three or four, somebody that we're not super excited about necessarily in fantasy, but takes touches away potentially from uh, Michael Carter there. My guy is going to be, for me, this is just easy peasy for a number of reasons. I'll start with the NFL draft. Elijah Moore. Uh, it just, if they bring in another wide receiver for the Jets, I don't think he's in trouble because he he came in with Zach Wilson. Those guys are going to grow old together for at least the rookie contracts. And I think that matters when you mold off the bat. And, and he had a great rookie season, only played 11 games, but 538 yards, six touchdowns in 11 games is not bad, right? So he's averaging closer to 10 touchdowns, about 800, 900 yards for a rookie, solid. I'm not worried about Elijah Moore like losing his job by any means, but if an alpha wide receiver comes in to be the true number one, I think that's going to affect him. Now you have Corey Davis out there as well. We saw that mesh early in the preseason and then early into the season before Zach Wilson got hurt too. Now let me just address the elephant in the room because because I'm a 49er fan, that's all me and my buddies talk about, which is starting to piss me off. If any of this Debo Samuel shit is somewhat true and something crazy like him getting traded on draft day, for the 10th overall pick to the Jets, and Debo Samuel goes to the Jets, he's Elijah Moore, but bigger, faster, stronger, and he played underneath the head coach and the offensive coordinator prior in San Francisco. That is a serious problem for Elijah Moore. Do I think it happens? Not necessarily. But if Debo's going to move, from what I read locally with my 49er deep dives, it's the only thing that makes sense for anybody and obviously, Lynch came out recently and was like, we're not going to trade Debo. He's too good. Well, every player is too good until you get enough for him in the return, obviously. If Debo's going to move, I think the Jets with that number 10 pick and maybe like a fourth rounder or something as well on top would make sense. The Niners have no first round picks for the next couple of years because of the Trey Lance situation last year. So it's not super far-fetched to me, and we're not going to know until tomorrow at this time during draft day. If that happens, though, I'm really worried about Elijah Moore. Because he goes from like a fringe wide receiver 15 to 18 in PPR, like fun, like heavily loaded volume wide receiver to like, I don't know, back in wide receiver three because the Jets aren't going to have the volume, the scoring opportunity, and the entire offense is going to run through Debo Samuel, at least through the air. So I'd be concerned there. If that doesn't happen, I do like Elijah Moore a lot to be a big winner out of this draft class. I and the other thing too is we talked about this last year about draft capital matters for wide receivers, especially in the top 10. And I, I, my guy is Corey Davis, and you could put Elijah Moore in there too. But when you draft a wide receiver in the top 10, the hit rates are a lot higher. They're actually pretty good. On top of all that, they're also going to demand targets most likely right away. So the difference between Zach Wilson in a lower pass volume offense, remember the Shanahan offense, isn't going to drop back and throw 650 to 700 times in a season. They are more conservative in the sense they run through the run game and then they use the pass game off that. So – that's the thing. There's the, is there going to be enough targets to give it to Corey Davis, a top 10 rookie, and Elijah Moore for them to all be fantasy viable? The good news is they're not going high, right? Corey Davis is going like 15th round. Elijah Moore is going like 8th round. So their draft capital isn't bad right now. But if there is three guys, a top 10 pick with those two, 
I just I just kind of find myself thinking, is it going to be like the Denver Broncos from last year when you had Tim Patrick, Jerry Judy, and Cortland Sutton all playing well, but they averaged like eight points a game. Like, that's not going to do anything for fantasy. But I will say, the reason why I picked Corey Davis is simple. Last year, if you look at the games he played with Zach Wilson, he actually averaged 11.8 points per game. That would have been wide receiver 26. And like I just brought up, he's going wide, he's going all the way in the 15th round. So he produced with Zach Wilson, and they actually had a lot of connection last year. So I think if they don't go out, bring in a top 10 wide receiver. And by the way, the mock drafts I've looked at, most of the guys do have them taking either Garrett Wilson, uh, Drake London, Jamison Williams. So it might matter who they take, too. If they take a guy that demands more of a possession-type receiver versus a vertical threat, like Jamison Williams, sounds like a burner. Mm -hmm. Um, But overall, I think that's going to impact this, too. But Mm -hmm. I just think this is huge for the wide receivers, Corey Davis and Elijah Mitchell. Before we guys move on, any final thoughts about the Jets? Buck, kick it down to you. No, just one last thing on that. Sky, I'm here to quell your anxiety surrounding one Debo Samuel with the breadth of receiving options, talented, bigger receivers in this draft class. I I just feel like I would rather have four and 10 and take my pick of the litter there and build from scratch with a lower contract number as compared to one Debo Samuel when that renewal kicks back in. So it's, it's just one of those things where I think when you're a team like the Jets, I'd rather rebuild from the ground up. And yeah, Debo gives you a leg up on that. But I mean, I think Corey Davis and Elijah Moore, both intriguing options if Zach Wilson can figure things out for the New York Jets. But I'm not too worried about the trade because both the Giants and the Jets, in my opinion, they just need to get two top 10 players and they're in position to do so. Yeah, Fill your gaps as best as you can with those draft picks. And don't get involved in in all the rigmarole surrounding trading just to go up three or four spots. I I, I don't feel like that's a value proposition for those teams considering where they currently reside. So rest easy, my friend. Yeah, that's fair. And and honestly, in my opinion, you know, if if Kyle Shanahan allows Brandon Ayuk to play, Brandon Ayuk is already, you know, 70% Debo Samuel. So he can take over that role. And if we get Debo Samuel out and look, Debo Samuel is the highest he's ever going to be as far as value, in my opinion, if he turns into only a wide receiver, it's going to be a problem. His numbers are going to go down. Fun fact before we get out of here, boys, Debo Samuel had 14 touchdowns last year. Do you happen to know the ratio in receiving and rushing? I'll ask you both off top 14 total touchdowns. What was his ratio in receiving and rushing? Eight, six, which way? receiving and then rushing eight, six. I'm going to go the opposite. Bob goes the opposite just out of spite and wins because he had eight rushing touchdowns, six receiving touchdowns that will never happen again in the history of football. He's at the highest peak right now. If we sell him for as much as we can get him at that point, I love Debo Samuel, but if we get rid of him at this point for a top 10 pick and maybe flourish on the back end, I think that's a good move. I rest my case though. We will wait for the NFL draft. We have, before we get out of here, I want to give Buck just one second to give a shout out to our man, Bob. Bob's going to be moving on from the program. We'll go over that more tonight. So come back to us tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Bob and I will be back on to handle the uh, NFC East uh, and wrap up this series. But Buck won't be able to make it because uh, he's later on and it's it's bedtime for Buck. So um, Bob will be moving on. He's got a great opportunity and we'll discuss that uh, later on. But uh, Bob, if you want to give your give your loves, now would be the time to do it. Yeah, Bob, man. Um, going to miss your musk. I'm going to miss your gaze, you know, 
the nice fleeting gaze across the interwebs. I'll miss that. I'll miss your dog. I'll miss your Kenny Galladay jersey. <laughs> That's probably collecting dust right now. It is, yeah. <laughs> and uh, no, man, it's been a pleasure working with you over this past year. And, uh, you know, I'll miss podding with you. I'm sure Sky and I will work some some arrangement out that works for both of us. Hopefully. I'm not going to speak for Sky, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's been a pleasure, man. Uh, just welcome me in your world and vice versa. And uh, I will miss you, sir. That's all. Same, man. Yeah, but it was death taxes and Buck and Bob on Wednesdays, folks, for a long time. And you know what? It was a good time. Um, I am not going to say this is the end, but at the same time, yeah, I will be moving on to Razzball and recording all my stuff on there for a while. Uh, I plan on having some crossover episodes and also bringing some of you guys on from time to time, too, to talk some football. But uh, I, I loved it. It was fun, man. It, it's a Sunday Lives, you know, those things we might have to keep doing because they were too much fun. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And of course, Bob, as long as this program exists, Bob will be invited all the time. We always wish our people who move on the absolute best. We love you, brother. Bob and I will be back this evening, 9 p.m. Eastern time. Make sure to check us out right here on the TCK pod, the fantasy focused YouTube channel. Hit the subscribe, hit the bell, leave a comment down below Facebook, Twitch and Twitter. Also, make sure to download the podcast and subscribe, leave a rate and review on the Candlestick Kids Fantasy Football Podcast. This episode and all episodes have been brought to you by betonline.ag and the Believe Networks for the rare trifecta. My man, Buck, and of course, Bob. I'm your host, Scott Guasco. We'll catch you this evening. We are out of here. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.